Ah, well, hello there. Servus. My name is Hyshawn Wade, and you're listening to This Week in Geopolitics, where we take a look at the events of yesterday and detail how they paint the geopolitical realities of today. And what do I got for you today? Well, today we're going to talk about the bombing in Istanbul. We're going to talk about the elections in the U.S. and how they've shaken out so far. And then we'll talk about the war scare that happened with Poland and Ukraine. All that and more coming up. Alrighty, let's get into the rapid fire news, and we'll actually make it rapid this time because I have really big segments uh, for the meat of this episode. So we'll start with <laughs> Donald Trump announcing he will be running for 2024. Ah, the hero this country needed. And just like that, I got crucified on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's announced he's going to be running. He had a very somber, very low-energy low speech compared to what he would usually do. But then again, we'll probably get the high-energy stuff later. It was at Mar-a-Lago, and it wasn't a campaign rally, so I guess that he was using his inside voices, or his inside voice. I guess he speaks for two people. But, yes, yes. Oh, finally, finally... I can, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and it says two dollars a gallon. <laughs> I can see it, folks. I can see it. Ah, oh, it'll be nice to get this country back on track for that isolationist future I saw all those many thousand years ago, back before our glorious president was cheated so badly. But now, now he's coming back. I think the the election coverage on that will be funnier, if anything else. Certainly watching the primaries. I always get a laugh out of those. And, and watching the debates as well. People say that he's going to be up against Ron DeSantis. Maybe he will. Or maybe Ron DeSantis will shock everybody by just not running. And then, <laughs> and then that'll take all the wind out of the sails of these people who have hopped onto the DeSantis hype train without realizing it was actually just the caboose of the Trump train. I think they're going to end up on the same ticket anyway, but they both live in Florida, so unless Trump moves, that won't be the case. But Trump has plenty of houses he can go to, and plenty of Trump towers he could relocate to anywhere else in the country to make that happen. I feel like he'll do it. I mean, why not? That'd be the, a super-duper powerful ticket. I think it, I think it'd be a good idea. Everyone knows DeSantis, everyone knows Trump. It'd be a very, very, very powerful ticket. Or maybe he'll pull someone we've never heard of before as his running mate, and he'll still he'll, he'll still win. I mean, let's, let's not kid ourselves, but run. But Trump DeSantis would be a glorious ticket. So there's that, and you know, he's he's running. And speaking of debates, as a as a side note, uh, I know it's this is after the midterms, but I I remember watching the. <laughs> Did you guys ever see that Fetterman debate with a Dr. Oz? Oh, <laughs> that thing was hilarious. He, the guy, opens up the debate 
and I'm talking about Fetterman here, he starts the debate by saying goodnight, everybody. <laughs> I can't with the, <laughs> I can't with these people. I can't with these people. But back to back to the, the the actual news, we have Governor Greg Abbott of Texas declaring an invasion on the southern border. He's rapidly beefed up the border patrol detail. He's authorized the guards and the border patrol to turn people back at the river, and they're using boats, very particular kinds of boats, to sort of incentivize people to keep from crossing. And those boats happen to have guns on them. You might want to call them a gunboat. And I'd say that's one form of diplomacy. A gunboat diplomacy. Now, whether or not they actually end up shooting anybody is one thing, uh, a completely different thing. But the fact that we've gotten to this point um, says that, at the very least now, we can say with certainty that the Republicans are actually getting serious about the immigration issue. Which would be good for, no, for us in the long run. No. A lot of people think that it'd be a, it's a controversial thing. I disagree. I mean, people can just come legally. And hey, if we decide we just want fewer immigrants, even through the legal means, then that's our decision as a country. We don't, we're not obligated to take in people from around the world, just as people in other countries aren't obligated to take in anyone else. Uh, strangely enough, it's only Europe, America, Canada that have these expectations placed on them. But, yeah, no, no one expects this from Russia. No one expects China to take in the world's immigrants. No one expects any country in Africa. No, Nobody expects that. Not even, no one expects that in Brazil. It's only us who's expected to take in everyone. And I say, uh, no, I don't want it. Especially if you're not going to come legally. And that doesn't make the person illegal, it just makes the, the specific action illegal, you know. But we have Texas getting tough on immigration, uh, right alongside Italy in the EU. Well, Italy's on the other side of the map, so we'll see what becomes of that. But uh, I, maybe they can take some notes out of Texas's handbook. I mean, uh, until, uh, look, look, until the Europeans, and I'm really looking at Italy and Britain, here, until they start shooting people on sight, or at the very least threatening to do so, then they ain't serious. They're they're not serious, especially Britain. Like I said it last episode, they they're an island. They illegal immigration shouldn't exist for them, especially with the Royal Navy. But I'll digress. So immigration has become a hot topic again. Well, as if it's ever stopped, but now we're starting to see the anti-immigration movement grow to levels we haven't seen in decades, really. I mean, shoot, we might even catch a another round of the Chinese Exclusion Acts with this keeps up. But, you know, who, who says that that's a bad thing? Oh, boy. I mean, as long as they're keeping out the spies. I don't, I don't know about the people, but the spies are definitely something we want to keep out. But as far as the southern border goes, you know, we the best way to stop this crisis is to just enforce our border. I mean, the reason we have these massive roving bands of people walking up through the southern border is because we allow it. People will do what you allow them to get away with. 
if we stop allowing them to get away with this, they'll stop doing it. There's a reason illegal immigration dipped under Trump to levels people didn't think possible for a while. And then when Biden comes in, it's all of a sudden we're getting record numbers again. People do what you allow them to get away with. So now Texas is getting tough on the border. So that begs the question, what about the other four border states? Because Texas ain't by itself. There's New Mexico, there's Arizona, and there's California. Will Cali- The southern parts of California are going to have to do that on their own. The, the Californian government will do literally nothing to help them. New Mexico might. They might surprise us. And Arizona will likely take after Texas. I mean, they, they kind of were the first to get started on their own independent enforcement of the border. Now Texas is up the ante, so we'll see what Arizona does. They're too busy counting ballots, so we'll see what they're doing. <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see this problem at the rate that this is going get resolved by the states. That'll be interesting to see. Uh, in other news, we have 12 more countries applying for BRICS membership as that alliance grows ever larger and more powerful and more enticing. And, of course, the op- opponents to the BRICS alliance, which is an economic alliance more than anything else, are panicked about this. And namely, the f- the focus that Putin wants, well, the idea that Putin has proposed that many of the other members have agreed to, which is a new reserve currency, a BRICS reserve currency, not one owned by any individual nation, but a brick, a collective currency, if, if that makes sense, that they'll use for their trade and interactions, which would completely undermine the dollar and the petrodollar. So, hey, more incentive for us to get back to sound money so we don't depend on the petrodollar. But that is proactive thinking, so it's not allowed. In the U.S., we have a shooting at a gay nightclub in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, Five were killed and about 18 were wounded. And the way this went down was the guy came in, he started shooting at people. And there were reports of 20, 30, 40 shots. He he was firing off a lot of shots and he was ultimately uh, wrestled down to the ground by a group of people. Apparently, he wasn't shooting at enough of the people around him to, you know, give himself some space to work with. And But, uh, hey, his stupidity benefits us. His stupidity benefited us. They were able to pin him to the ground, get the guns away from him, and that was the end of that story. But I, I heard the story, and I know it's going to be used to try to push gun control, at least in the state of Colorado. But I I just couldn't help but think if just five people in that immediate area had guns on them, how fast would this have ended? And how many more people would not have gotten shot? How many of those five people might still be alive? I just can't help but ask that question, considering that arm the populace is my position in response to gun crime. Well, the best way to deal with someone who has a gun is to have a gun of your own. It's the great equalizer. So, what if the people in that crowd were armed? How fast would he have gone? How fast would this shooter have gone down? How many people would not have gotten shot? This is why I advocate the Second Amendment. And enforcement of the Second Amendment. 
Because we could we could stop things like this if just more people were armed. Regular people, you know, the the kinds who don't commit crimes. None of the people in this none of the people in this nightclub were committing a crime. Or at least that's what I assume. <laughs> but this is just regular people. Sure, they m- might happen to be gay, but these are regular people. Why shouldn't they be armed? Why should they be the victims of some guy who's out of his mind? I don't think they should. We should have more people armed in this country. And that way, we people like this pop, show up and they, he just gets popped in the head. Maybe only three people get shot. You know, let's reduce these numbers. Let's reduce these numbers. Uh, we have Ukraine halting gas deliveries to Hungary, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic. Claiming a Russian missile hit a power station near Belarus that supplied the electricity needed to pump the gas along the pipeline. This has caused major panic in Hungary at the bare minimum. Uh, I'm not sure what it would. I'm not sure if similar situations have arrived in the other countries, Slovakia and the Czech Republic. But in Hungary, Viktor Orban had called an emergency meeting of the National Security Council to address the pipeline shutdown, as well as the reports of Russian missiles hitting Poland as that would trigger, potentially, the NATO alliance, namely Article 5. And we'll get into that later on in the episode. But lots of stuff going down. This has been a very eventful week. But now, I've gone through the rapid fire, and we'll get into the meat of this episode. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. And we'll see you in just a moment. And we're back to get into the meat of this episode. And we'll start with a story in Turkey. I feel like this is the least significant of all these significant events that I'm bringing up. And it is the bombing that happened in Istanbul. So a a bag bomb, and this is really just apparently a really, really powerful bomb. Because when you look at the number of people who were wounded, it's insane. A bomb went off in the streets of Istanbul, which is the formal capital of Turkey. It's the city on the straits of the Bosphorus, where, you know, if you look at a map, you'll see there's a piece of Turkey that juts out and a piece of Europe that juts out with it. Uh, Right between the Black Sea and the Mediterranean, there's a strait. Like, that's not a piece of solid land, that's a strait. There's a, well, there's a a channel... (laughs) trying to explain this properly there's a there's a strip of water all right there's a strip of water running from the black sea down into the sea of marmora which is the little sea right there next to turkey where this is where istanbul is this is where istanbul is is a major artery of trade all the grain that was coming out of ukraine and russia had to go through this point and it, it still does but you know the the russians have terminated the black sea deal with the ukrainians so now it's only russian grain uh, going through here this is a very very crucial city to the country of turkey and it always has been ever since they took it but here we have a bombing we have a bombing that killed six people and wounded 80 like 80 people were wounded by this single bombing. And apparently there was a woman who had let down their bag. 
she had set it down on the ground, and she left the scene. Then the bomb goes off, and you get a casualty list of 86 people. 80 of which wounded, and 6 dead. Uh, they've apprehended a woman that they suspect to be the person behind the attacks. We'll see if she actually was. But this has sparked a, a lot of turbulence. I'll, I'll say that much. It sparked a lot of turbulence. And anger. But lots of turbulence. As Turkey has begun throwing out accusations. And blame. For the attacks. Uh, Turkey's blamed the PKK. They've named them specifically for the attacks. And Erdogan himself has gone as far as blaming the United States because we fund and often support the PKK and the things they do in Syria. Uh, these are the, the Kurds. This is a, a Kurdish party that doubles as a militant force, the PKK. And they're primarily based in Syria, although they also operate in across the border in Turkey. So they've been, they've very, for a very long time, been a, been at odds with Turkey. And we give them aid. And aid which, on occasion, is turned against Turkey by the people that we're aiding. And for the longest time, Turkey does put up with this. They have put up with this for a very long time. But with this bombing here, it seems that that tolerance, that patience, might just have either come to an end or be on the verge of coming to an end. Because when, when I tell you how this went down and some of the statements that were said, you'll sort of get the impression that the Turks are basically asking us to choose between them and the Kurds. And the reason I say that is because, uh, well, I'll just get into the comments and perhaps you'll see why I say that. Because when asked to comment on the attack, Suleiman Soylu, which is Turkey's interior minister, when he was approached, and this was at a, a funeral for one of the people that died, he rejected the condolences of the U.S. Embassy, saying, quote, We reject the condolences of the American Embassy. We do not accept it. Our alliance with a state that sends money from its own Senate to these groups, feeding the terror zones in Kobani, which aims to disturb Turkey's peace, is in a controversial situation. This is open and clear, end quote. So he's talking about us, and, and he's saying that their alliance with us is in a controversial situation because we've funded the groups that they have accused of performing this bombing. So, what you sort of get from statements like that, and again from the head of state in Turkey, Erdogan, blaming the U.S. for the attack, instead of the PKK, he's not relieving the PKK of doing anything. He's not saying that, oh, they're innocent. No, he's blaming us because we fund and support them. So, what you get from these sorts of statements is that Turkey is in essence, asking us where our allegiances truly lie. 
that's what's being called into question here by these Turkish officials, the interior minister as well as the president of Turkey. They're, they're saying that we're involved in this. And we probably are. <laughs> we probably are. And what they're... Again, I, I just can't help but get this, this sense, this feeling that they are demanding that we lay out exactly who it is that we're aligned with. Where do our allegiances lie? Do they lie with the Kurds or the Turks? That's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm getting out of these statements coming from these people. And what I'm getting out of the, the general anger coming from the people in Turkey. The U.S.-Turkey alliance, for all intents and purposes, is under intense pressure. And one could argue that it's been that way since the attempted coup in 2016, but I myself can say definitively that this alliance has been under duress ever since the start of the Russo-Ukrainian war. And we, we've, we've covered it time and time again. The Turks will do something that benefits them greatly. Like they've, they've been really on, on top of their game. They have been on the ball, the whole game benefiting themselves. And beefing up their own geostrategic importance. I mean, heck, they just they just agreed to become a gas hub. And where's the gas going to come from? Russia. They, they've just cut deals with Russia. They're cutting deals with, for us, as we're told, the enemy. We're supposed to be all in this together. NATO's supposed to be more united than ever. And yet this NATO member is siding with the country that we're supposedly rallying against. To become a gas hub for the distribution of gas coming from the country that we're sanctioning. And let's not even forget how the Turks managed to extort Finland and Sweden into giving them concessions on the extradition of Kurdish militants and people affiliated with Kurdish militants. In violation of their own constitutions, in violation of EU law, Turkey has gotten them to concede that in exchange for their NATO membership. That caused tension between the U.S. and Turkey. The gas hub thing has caused tension between the U.S. and Turkey. Turkey and Russia agreeing to do trade in their local currencies. The, the Russian ruble and the Turkish lira has caused tensions between the U.S. and Turkey. Like, it, at every step of the way, you see the U.S.-Turkey alliance coming under more and more and more stress. And it ultimately stems from the Turks pursuing an independent foreign policy. An independent foreign policy, which, mind you, is doing wonders for this country. I'll, uh, and when I say this country, I'm talking about Turkey. Like, they are, they're doing really good. <laughs> they are definitely taking every opportunity they can to put themselves in a better and better and better position. I mean, at the rate that they're going, they might even, they, and this is a big might, but they might even refer to Erdogan as the great by the time his tenure is over. I mean, look at all the things that they're going to accomplish. Look at, the, look at what they've accomplished during the war and look at what they're setting themselves up to accomplish after the war. 
Because the war in Ukraine will end someday. And when it does, what happens then? The Turks know what they're going to be up to. They know what they're going to be up to. What's Europe going to be up to when the war is over? Are they still going to be sanctioning Russia? Are we in the United States still going to be sanctioning Russia? The, the Turks are, gonna, are already cutting deals. They're going to be a gas hub. The Europeans are still going to get this Russian gas. It's just going to go through Turkey. They get to be the middlemen again. They're going to make a killing off being a middleman again. I, I, I swear, I, I can't wait to do my reflections episode on the war and go over all the, the winners and losers of this war. Turkey is definitely on the winner's list. I'll, I'll just spoil that much right off the bat. Turkey is already on the winner's list. And I, the episode is in progress, mind you. I keep saying I, I, I can't wait to do it. I'm very excited to bring it to you. But I need the war to end first. Otherwise, it's not really a reflections episode. It's a analysis of what we've gone through. But yeah, Turkey's on the winner's list. But the things that they've done in pursuing their own independent foreign policy have put pressure on this alliance with the United States. And the things that the U.S. does as a part of its own foreign policy constantly conflict with Turkey's interests. We want Turkey to take a hard line against Russia. Well, that's not in Turkey's interest. Turkey lives on the Black Sea. If they take a hard line against Russia, well, now they have to worry about the Russian Navy. Now they have to worry about the Russian alliance with Armenia. Now they have to worry about the Russian alliance with the Syrian government. Like, this is uh, a hard line stance against Russia has never gone well for the Turks. In how the how many hundred couple hundred years that they've they've been taking the hard line against Russia since Russia arrived on the scene as a major and later great power, taking a hard stance against Russia has almost never done Turkey any good. It usually results in them losing territory and losing wars badly. I mean, I mean seriously, look look at a map. If they take a hard line against Russia, and Russia wins the war in Ukraine, well, congratulations, now you have an enlarged enemy. An enlarged enemy. Where did they get larger? Oh, in the northern part of this piece of water that separates you from them. Oh, wow, they have more coastal frontage on the, the body of water that you both have to cohabitate in. Oh, yeah, that... That'd be a great idea for the Turks. Not. Why would they do that? Why would they jeopardize themselves like this? They wouldn't, which is why they haven't. Think about Russia's relationship with Iran. If Turkey were to take a hard line against Russia, they'd, they'd be asking for trouble from almost every direction of the compass, save for maybe the West. That's the only safe point, but heck... Turkey's trying to pursue its interests in the Eastern Mediterranean. So they have to worry about the West anyway. Because France and Greece aren't going to stand idly by. They're going to oppose them. If Turkey picks a fight with Russia, they have to look in literally every direction. But if they don't pick a fight with Russia, they can leave Russia alone. They can leave Iran alone. They'll probably still be messing around in northern Syria. But at the very least, that's fewer points of the compass they have to keep their eyes on. 
and they can really focus their efforts on the places that they want to. Heck, they might even negotiate a deal with the Russians when the war is over to carve up the Black Sea the way that they want to. Where they'll get they'll get the southern half, Russia gets the northern half, and they leave a little bit in the corners for the, the minor powers on the sides. Yeah, that's a deal right there. But that's a deal that they can only come to if they don't take the hard line against Russia. And I feel that that deal is coming. When the war is over, I feel that that deal will come. Just like what Turkey did with Libya. They'll, they'll say, hey, we want to extend our economic zone. You want to take advantage of the resources here as well. So how about we just both meet in the middle? You know, you, you get more, we get more, and it's fair, you know. For us, I feel that that deal is going to come. But that goes completely against the current U.S. policy of, well, let's take the hard stance against Russia. Ever since the Russo-Ukrainian war broke out, Turkey has pursued its independent foreign policy feverishly and to great effect. But the things that are good for Turkey to do fly in the face of what the U.S. asks of it. And the things that the U.S. wants to do fly in the face of what would be good for Turkey. And this war has dramatically accentuated that conflict. Like, very few people saw it. I myself certainly didn't. I saw Turkey just getting more active in its neighborhood. What I didn't see was the extent to which U.S. policy clashed with Turkish interests until now. But the war has allowed us to see it. So, with trouble in Europe, as winter creeps ever closer, with a, a constant falling out with Turkey over everything that the Turks do, which benefits Turkey, but goes against the solidarity of U.S. and its allies, Combine that with an oil grudge against the Saudi Arabia, uh, against the Saudi Arabia, against the Saudis over oil production cuts. Are we witnessing a partial or even total collapse of the U.S. alliance system? Because we see problems with Turkey. We have problems with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is the linchpin of the petrodollar, mind you. We have, we're going to have problems in Europe. A lot, of, a lot of them already blame the U.S. for getting them into this mess. The sanctions mess. So when they start to freeze this winter, I can only imagine that grudge is going to grow. So if the Europeans are about to get really, really fucking upset with us, if the Turks are really upset with us right now, and increasingly so, and if the Arabians have already cast their lot with the multipolar world order led by Russia and yes it's Russia who's leading this not China China's right by Russia's side but it's Russia who's leading the, the charge here with all this happening are we witnessing a partial or even total collapse of the US alliance system because what is the US alliance system without Europe without Turkey and NATO. What is the U.S. alliance system without NATO? What is the U.S. alliance system 
without the petrodollar. What? Australia? Japan, South Korea? The Five Eyes? That's, that's not much, if anything, at all. If anything, that's just the anti-China coalition right there. And then the anti-China coalition is going to be demolished on Taiwan. So what happens then? Are we witnessing the beginning of the end for this, the U.S. alliance system? This system I've come to know and hate? Will my wishes come true? Or will I be severely disappointed because it makes a rebound two seconds after I make the episode? Who knows? But it's definitely something I've been alerted to. That's a possibility. I hope that possibility comes without too much death and destruction, you know, outside of Ukraine. But it's definitely a possibility that I can now see, that we can see as we observe the things going on around the world. That's Turkey. So now we'll get into the U.S. elections for the second week and as you know, election week, or perhaps election week and a half, has concluded. And the Republicans now definitively control the House with 218 seats. So we'll, we'll see what comes of this. There isn't exactly much faith that the Republicans are going to do much of, if anything at all. But they have promised, they have promised a couple investigations. Uh, so the Republicans control the House, 218, 212, and I'm pretty sure that leaves one extra seat unaccounted for, because it's, the House is an odd number, not an even number. The Senate is even, but the House is an odd number. Oh wait, no, no, it's an even number. I, I remembered 538 is literally... The combination of the 100 Senate seats with the, the House seats. So, yeah. It's, for some reason, I thought it would be an odd number. But I guess it's an even number. So, yeah. But, I'm pretty sure there are supposed to be 438 seats. And with 212 for the Democrats and 218 for the Republicans, that's... 430, so that leaves eight seats unaccounted for as of right now. So, theoretically, the Democrats could end up with the House again if all those seats flip to them. But we'll see. We shall see. As of right now, though, as of right now, it is projected that the Republicans have control of the House and that they're going to take power when the new Congress comes into well, comes into power in January. Kevin McCarthy has become the new Speaker of the House, and Nancy Pelosi, to the surprise of everyone, has put herself out to pasture, saying she plans to retire. She has literally disappeared. <laughs> I don't know where she went. Uh, especially after that Pelosi attack story. And this is not her being attacked, it's her husband, who was apparently attacked by this guy with a hammer. 
and there's a whole bunch of tomfoolery surrounding that story, and it's not relevant to the geopolitics, so I haven't bothered to cover it. <laughs> I And quite frankly, I would have gotten it wrong anyway if I had covered it, because the story just keeps changing. So I'm just going to sit on that. But we have, from the Republicans, a couple promises. We'll see if they get to it. They plan to launch at least five investigations into the current administration. They appear to have zero faith that any legislation they pass is going to actually make its way through even the Senate, let alone get passed by Joe Biden. They don't have a veto-proof majority, so instead they look like they're going to go for the investigative route. Now, what are they going to be investigating, you might ask? Good question. They have five things that they say that they want to investigate. And I agree that they should look into these things. Number one, uh, the first thing they say they're going to look into is the Hunter Biden laptop story. Yeah, which is essentially implicating Hunter and Joe Biden in corrupt business dealings in Ukraine, as well as it would implicate the DOJ and the FBI, the DOJ being the Department of Justice. It would implicate both them and the Federal Bureau of Investigation for covering this up because the Hunter Biden laptop story has been notoriously covered up and every step of the way it was the New York Post had published a story on it and the things coming out about it but it was censored the New York Post was censored by other news outlets as well as Twitter at the time and this was censored right before the election, and it wasn't until after the election that the laptop story was allowed to surface again. So how very convenient. And then when you get into the, the deeper aspect of this story, you see that the laptop keeps getting bounced around. People are asking for the laptop. People investigating this, people doing the lawsuits ask for the laptop. The FBI refuses to hand it over. Uh, they, they keep doing strange maneuverings to delay others from looking into the laptop saying it would compromise it would, it would compromise people working in the FBI but at the same time the FBI claims that they've never seen what was in the laptop but yet the content within the laptop would compromise FBI officials which is something that they couldn't possibly know unless they looked into the laptop it's it's a very very strange story and really the cover-up is the crime that people ought to be looking into, uh, at the very least based off what we know about the laptop, let alone what we might not know, like what's actually on the laptop. Because what's said is on the laptop is very, very damning pictures of Hunter Biden and damning information about Joe Biden as well. Now, we can't necessarily confirm that. Well, I can't anyway. Uh, but it's, it's the tomfoolery surrounding this. And the, the people involved definitely should be investigated to get to the bottom of why it was so important to censor this thing. Especially right before the election. So that's the first thing that the Republicans said they're going to look into. Well, actually, I'm not, I'm not sure if this is in order of priority. 
but this is the the first thing that I saw they were going to look into because they have four other things that they're going to look into. Now, the specific order that they'll look into them is another thing entirely, but the second thing that the rather goodness the, <laughs> that the Republicans say that they're going to investigate is going to be the botched Afghanistan withdrawal and why it went so poorly. I say yes, we should investigate that because there's no reason it should have gone as badly as it did. I mean, it's not like our generals are retarded. Like, I, we'll, we can talk about how they're slow for doing this, oh, they're not very bright for doing that, but let's, let's be honest, let's be honest, these folks aren't actually that dumb. <laughs> like, we can, we can poop on their intelligence and their intellect all we want, but the fact of the matter is, they didn't become a high-ranking military official for nothing. They have to at least have a brain. You know, that's that's not a position you get to have brain damage in and keep. So the, these people, they're smart. Now they they might be they might do stupid things, but they're not dumb. So why exactly we could go so many years without, you know, people dying? In Afghanistan, wounded maybe, but not dying. Uh, why, why were we able to go for such a long period of time? And this is primarily after Trump had negotiated some sort of agreement with the Taliban. We were able to go a really good deal of time without people being killed. Our soldiers being killed. And yet, when we get to the withdrawal, 13 of our soldiers die. How is it? That when you're still technically at war, you get a, an agreement, and then no one dies, but yet when you're withdrawing, suddenly people die. How is that, how is that the case? How is that the case? And I, I imagine one of the things they'll look into as well is why it took so long to do the withdrawal. Because if you remember... When Trump had negotiated our withdrawal with the Taliban, we were supposed to be out by May. Not sometime in May, we were supposed to be gone by May of 2021. That was the deal. We get to sometime in April, though, and then the Biden administration unilaterally declares that they're, they're moving the withdrawal date back to August. And what I said at the time was they have broken our end of the deal with the Taliban. Now the Taliban is no longer going to honor its end of the deal. They're going to go back on the prowl. They're going to go on the attack. And what happened? Literally that summer, the Taliban went on a jaw-dropping offensive across the whole country. The result of which was the capture of Kabul... In August, in August, the situation had deteriorated so much that they had captured the whole country over the course of a summer. 20 years of fighting ended in a single summer offensive, a summer offensive. Meanwhile, you had Joe Biden saying on live television, we have 300,000 trained troops, the 
There's only 75,000 Taliban fighters. There's no way that when we pull out that they're gonna they're just gonna collapse. We didn't even finish pulling out yet, and the Afghan army collapsed. This is the the Republic, the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, fighting against the Taliban, i.e., the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. So our puppet government that we set up, who had the 300,000 troops that were trained and armed by us, they fell apart immediately over this summer. Even though you had Biden saying that they wouldn't do that, that they would stand and fight to the bitter end. The president, the guy we installed as the leader of this country, of the Islamic Republic, he fled to Tajikistan and didn't come back. And it was at that point, I'm like, okay, it's over. <laughs> okay, it's over. It's definitively over. But how did we get to that situation? You had you had our generals. You had the CIA. You had the intelligence community. All saying that things were going to hold. And then when the dust settled, things didn't hold at all. So there was a lot of tomfoolery going down there. Tomfoolery, which ultimately stemmed from us breaking our end of the deal, which is that we would be gone by May. So why did it take an additional, what, May, June, July, and then all of August? Because they, they, it took us till the end of August to finally finish getting out. You had, from the moment Biden took office, let's just start there, because the deal was negotiated earlier than that. But just starting from the moment Biden took office, you had February, March, April. That's three months. That, that's, that's the time frame we had to get out. We had 90 days from Biden coming in. They pushed the date back unilaterally. <laughs> but let, let's, let's run with that, okay? Let's run with that. So now you have May, that's four months. June, that's five months. July, August, that's seven months. Why were our people not out after seven months? Why were we still scrambling to find U.S. civilians? Why did we leave behind U.S. civilians in Afghanistan who are still there to this day? Why did it take until August for us to evacuate the embassy? Why did it take until August for us to get our people out? Why, why did it take until August for us to figure out the order by which we were going to get the people out in the first place? And why, in the end, did we pull the military out first? Why did we... Why did we pull the military out before getting out all of our people? Why did we move the evacuation site from Bagram Air Base to the Kabul International Airport? Why did we do that? Why did we give up the, the secure and secluded location for the overcrowded airport? There's a, lot, there's a lot of why. There's a lot of why. There's a lot of things that need to be answered for. I am 100% on board this investigation. If you if you couldn't tell by now. So that's two things they plan on investigating. The third thing they plan on investigating is by is Biden Biden's weaponization of the FBI and the DOJ, namely their involvement in the 
targeting of political opponents within the country for arbitrary reasons. I imagine the prime example of this is going to be the extensive use of the three-letter agencies to investigate and try to prosecute Donald Trump. Even now, you have Merrick Garland setting up a special counsel to look into Trump-related matters. Uh, this was announced the day after Trump said he was running for president again. So this investigation will probably blow the lid off of that by proxy, and we'll see what happens to the legitimacy of that anyway. I don't think it's going to get anything. They, they, they've been trying for all this time. They haven't found anything yet. I don't, I don't see how that's going to change. Every time they fight this man, they lose. I have a feeling that in time, 2020 will end up being no exception. But, yeah, they're going to investigate the FBI and the DOJ and the Biden administration for... Well, oh, goodness, I messed up the order of that completely. They're going to investigate the Biden administration for the weaponization of the FBI and the DOJ. There we go. So that's one thing. Then number four. And again, this isn't necessarily in order of the importance, but things that I've listed. They're going to be looking into the origins of the COVID-19 virus. And namely the, uh, the things that we were told weren't true that ended up potentially maybe being true. The things that we were told not to look at that, you know, at a time when we were all starved for information on this, we were told not to look for information on certain things. Uh, so they're going to be looking into the origins of the COVID-19. So think lab leak, think gain of function research on coronaviruses, as well as the extent to which the CDC and Dr. Fauci were involved with the Wuhan lab and the gain of function research going on there. So they're going to be looking into that. The Republicans will probably also look into the extent to which Fauci and the CDC withheld knowledge of the virus that they happen to be working on in conjunction with the Wuhan lab. Because that's some damning information. Again, look into it. I, I won't allege that it's true, although I believe it to be. But they're going to they're gonna look into that. They're going to look into how the, how the CDC and Fauci withheld knowledge on the ineffectiveness of lockdowns and social distancing while advocating it anyway. They're going to look into the advocation for mask mandates while knowing masks to be ineffective in stopping the spread of viral infections. Why would you advocate for everyone wearing masks as a doctor when you knew that the masks weren't going to stop the infection? Why would you say double or triple up on your masks if it's not going to do anything? So, yeah, they're going to th they they're going to throw the book at them almost literally. Uh and you know what? The CDC and Fauci, they deserve it, you know? They deserve it. And there was, there was no reason for all that. We trusted them. We trusted them, and they betrayed our trust. They just lied constantly. So you know what? They deserve this. They, de <laughs> they deserve everything they're about to get. And believe it or not, <clears throat> excuse me. It looks like it's going to be the Republicans bringing accountability to the table. Uh, again, if you if you can believe it. Part of me still doesn't, but hey, well, I'll take what I can get. I'll take what I can get. And then there's number five, which is 
that they're going to be investigating the deliberate neglect of the southern border by the Biden administration and why they're allowing hundreds of thousands of people to cross into the country. I mean, Texas literally declared an invasion this, this week because of this issue. We Everyone was upset and offended that Ron DeSantis would send migrants, these illegal immigrants, to Martha's Vineyard. How dare he ship them across the country like that, like they're, like they're just pawns in his political game. How, how terrible that he would do that. Never mind that Martha's Vineyard had those folks evicted in less than 24 hours. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and you know, People say that America is a divided country. I don't, I, I really, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. That incident right there confirmed it, if nothing else could. Everybody in America is on board with immigration control. Everybody in America is on board with not allowing the illegal immigration, the illegal immigration in this country. Everyone's on board with that. People will say otherwise, and that's where the confusion comes in. People will say otherwise because they... They want to sound nice. But when the the push comes to shove, everyone's a conservative, baby. <laughs> everyone, everyone wants the enforcement of our immigration rules. Because if the folks in Martha's Vineyard believed what they said about the immigrants, about people coming, from the, coming to this country in general, illegally, if they believed what they said, they would just let them stay. But they won't. They want them gone. They want them deported. They deported They deported the illegal immigrants from Martha's Vineyard. They sent them somewhere else. But the rest of us are expected to keep them. No, 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 no. And, 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 that's, and that's one of the reasons I say America is not anywhere near as divided as people like to believe it is. Everyone wants the illegal immigrants to be deported. It's, I, it's just... It's just common ground. It's just common ground. Now, if only we could get people to admit that. That's the challenge. But everyone wants security. Everyone wants the enforcement of our border. Martha's Vineyard showed it. But back to the, the topic at hand, the Republicans are going to investigate the, the, the neglect of the southern border. Uh, they're probably going to look into Kamala Harris. I'm I'm gonna name names right there. She's gonna get looked into because she was named the border czar back when back when Biden first came along and they were naming czars here, climate czar, energy czar, all, all these czars. I'm like, I don't I don't think you know what that word means, but okay. <laughs> so yeah, Kamala is supposedly our border czar, but she's the weakest czar I've ever seen. <laughs> the Russians definitely don't want her. They, that they would have had a revolution in 1817 instead of 1917 if she was in charge. I mean, seriously, she has never been to the border. She's been to a border state, but she's never been to the border. How are you going to be the, the, the person in charge of the border and never go look at it? How are you going to be the person in charge of the border and never do a thing about it? Like... What are you what are you up to that's so important as to not do your job? What's going on? So she's she's probably gonna get investigated. I'm just saying that right off the bat. And you know, hopefully something comes from all these investigations. I 
I can only say hopefully because one, it's the Republicans. They they don't they don't like doing much even when they have the power, and two, it's politicians in general. Like politicians don't like doing things. They like they like the pay that they get, those hundred and something thousand dollars that they get as a salary at my expense while we live in destitution. I wonder what we could do with that money if we kept it in our pockets. But hey, that's that's y'all there. There I go being a radical again. <laughs> but I I hope something good comes with these investigations. I I won't just say something. I hope something good because you we can get we can get a whole lot of these investigations. It just they might not be good. And I hope that people actually end up in jail, especially over the COVID stuff especially over the COVID stuff, people got, people lost their jobs, their livelihoods, people were forced into taking medications and vaccines that weren't good for their health. Now we have all these people with these health complications who all just so happened to have taken the vaccine, the the CDC and the, and the, <laughs> the companies that made the vaccines wanted to withhold information on them and the research and the data on them for 66 something years and they got struck down by the courts why would you want to hide that for 66 years we should look we need to look into this we really do we really really do we did not need to respond to that like china did and apparently responding to that like china did ended up worse for us all so whose idea was this why did we go along with it and why was it advocated for for so long because it wasn't until, like, what, the spring of this year, 2022, that we finally got away from the, the masks and the, the, the lockdown measures. And it wasn't until, what, August or October? Uh, August or October. September or October? There we go. That Biden announced that, hey, the pandemic is over. Why did we go along with that for so long? Why did Congress wait until after the midterms to get rid of the Emergency Powers Act? Why? Why did we see the largest upwards transfer of wealth over the course of those lockdowns in human history? Why did we stud- suddenly start getting hyperinflation? Why did we suddenly Why did we suddenly choose to start writing checks when we could have just let people go to work instead? All that needs to be investigated. A lot of people need to go to jail. A lot of people need to go. But hey, I, 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 that's that's what I feel. That's what I feel. And hopefully that's what comes. But last and not least for our lovely episode is the Poland war scare. And this, I think, is the biggest story of the week. Not because anything necessarily happened. It's more so what could have happened had things taken a different course. Because what happened here was that last week there were reports that two missiles had hit locations in eastern Poland along the border with Ukraine. And at first they were claimed to be Russian missiles, Although as much could not be confirmed at the time. Although the Ukrainian government was 
quick to levy such allegations anyway. But this incident is it was a very, very, very dangerous one. I'll say that right off the bat. It was very dangerous. Sure, later it was discovered that the missiles were actually... They were more than just not Russian. They were instead Ukrainian missiles, which had flown off course. Uh, and I'll, I'll just say, don't you love how... Uh, when people believed Russia was responsible for this, it was a deliberate attack on Poland. But when everyone found out it was Ukraine instead, now it's it's an accident. Okay. Uh, but... Yeah. This was a big deal. A very big deal. I mentioned earlier that Hungary, uh, Viktor Orban, had called a, a meeting of their National Security Council. And one of the things they discussed, uh, on top of the gas being cut off by Ukraine, was Poland supposedly being attacked. And the Ukrainians said that a missile hit, hit a power station in Ukraine, close to northern Belarus. Uh, not close to northern Belarus. Close to Belarus, in the north of Ukraine, the northwest of Ukraine. So, this all happened, presumably as a part of a... Uh, presumably, while the Russians were going through one of their missile barrages that they've been doing as the past few weeks, where they just hammer away at the Ukrainians with a number of missile strikes. And uh, I suppose that these... These attacks... We can confirm that one of them was a false flag. It remains to be seen if the hit on the power station supplying gas to Hungary was also a false flag, or if that one was legit. You know, we we just don't know at this moment in time. But sh while the incident might be over now, this incident greatly, greatly inflamed fears of World War III. Those fears have been greatly inflamed. And this was primarily due to NATO's Article 5 Collective Defense Clause. That's the one where an attack on one member state is to be treated as an attack on all member states. Now, it might not have been World War III had it kicked off that way. But it still would have been war. A war which we would have been forced into without our consent, we being America, not because somebody attacked us, but because of an alliance with a country thousands of miles away who happened to be attacked by yet another country thousands of miles away. And that was, that was the big deal about this. That was the big deal about this. Now, thankfully, the Polish government exercised a hell of a lot more responsibility than a lot of other people because they refused to comment for a while. And those 24 hours that it took for us to deduce that it was actually Ukrainian missiles, in the 24 hours where they chose not to lay blame, they might just have saved the world. I, I'll give them that the credit where that credit is due. They were... They handled this very responsibly. Much much more responsibly than I feel and fear other governments in Europe and in the United States, <coughs> the current administration, would have handled this. Because everyone was blaming Russia. Everyone had jumped the gun 
and immediately assumed it was the Russians who had did this. But Poland didn't. And that was the keystone towards keeping us from a major conflict in Europe. Because think about what would happen if they had jumped onto the bandwagon. What if instead of being responsible, they had got caught up in the moment and said, yes, the Russians did it. It was Russia. They attacked us. Well, now we'd be marching towards war with Russia. Poland isn't ready for that. No one in Europe is ready for that. We've emptied out our arsenals for Ukraine. And if we did that, well, the Russians would just attack Poland through Belarus. (laughs) The Russians would just attack the Baltics. And everyone would find out very quickly, oh, wow, the Russian military is not a paper tiger. They've actually just been holding back a hell of a lot in Ukraine. And we haven't given them credit for holding back. Oh, wow. They're attacking NATO directly now. It, it would have been a mess. It would have been a huge mess. But again, thank goodness that the Polish government was responsible. But again, again... While war may have been averted for now, let's let's go back to what I said. We would have been drawn into this, not because somebody attacked America, but because of an alliance with a country thousands of miles away, who was attacked by yet another country thousands of miles away. And shit like this is exactly why I believe wholeheartedly that George Washington was right. When he explicitly warned us in his farewell address not to get into any entangling foreign alliances. Situations like this constantly, constantly, constantly tell me he was right. He was right. We should have listened to him. Why we continually choose not to and then get afraid that we're going to get drawn into these military conflicts is beyond me. It's beyond me when I watch people get panicked that we might be drawn into war over this alliance and then no one wants to leave the alliance. No one wants to go to the war. No one wants to get drawn into other people's wars and everyone say we shouldn't be doing that. We can't be doing this. We have things we need to be doing at home. But no one wants to leave the alliance and be done with that liability. It's so strange to me. I won't say that I have it all figured out, but at least you know I'm consistent. Goodness. It's it's strange to me. And we are in a position right now. Unthinkable to people just a hundred years ago. In 1922. And, I mean, what is this? What is this? We're in a position right now where we're literally, literally every escalation that happens in the Russo-Ukrainian war brings with it the prospect of us going to war over this damn alliance. An alliance, mind you, that the Ukrainians aren't even a part of. That's that's the, the strangest thing about this to me. 
Ukraine's not even in the alliance, and yet we're about to go to every escalation in Russia's war with Ukraine brings NATO closer to war. When the whole porp the whole purpose of us getting involved with Ukraine was to keep Russia away from NATO, supposedly. Was to keep Russia out of Europe. Not out of Europe, they are European. But to keep Russia out of Ukraine, so that we can keep them away from NATO. Why let Russia expand up to NATO's borders? <laughs> okay. I disagree, but okay. At, at the very least, you have a logic there. But what good does that logic do us if we end up at war with Russia anyway? What good is giving all this aid and all this money and all these weapons to Ukraine to keep Russia from getting to NATO so that we don't have to fight Russia ourselves? What good is all that going to do if we end up fighting Russia anyway? Because every escalation here brings us and NATO closer to war with Russia. It's the strangest thing to me. I, I, but at this point, I say we use this very scary event to our advantage. Uh, and here, here's where my enlightened thinking comes into play. We should use the Ukraine. We should accuse the Ukrainians of deliberately attacking Poland, our dear and beloved NATO ally. We should gather a coalition of the willing for the uh the uh, the defense of poland mm -hmm. and then we invade ukraine from the west and end the war our damn selves problem solved then we can demand war reparation from ukraine to the tune of uh let's say all 100 and something billion we've given to them in aid i say that's fair you know I say we demand reparations in the form of all functioning military equipment they possess that we gave them. All that ought to be returned to the NATO member of origin in good order upon their request. And hey, if Russia wants to annex all of Ukraine, then they can just pay us the indemnity directly then instead. You know, it all works out. It all works. It, ju it just works. There's the off ramp. There's your de-escalation right there. America and Russia working together to crush the Nazi scum. The Europeans can use that as a way to lift the sanctions on Russia, on Russian energy, while saving face, you know. We, we protected the Ukrainians. We tried to save democracy, and they bit the hand that fed us. It's time to be done with this. You know, it, it works. It works. And the U.S. can use the newfound peace in Europe after the war, uh, and our new understanding with Russia to walk away from Europe and NATO from a position of strength. And a, a good position, you know, having made amends with Russia. Oh, we're not enemies with Russia anymore. We were actually allies when we fought Ukraine. Hey, there's no more threat in Europe anymore. Great, we can leave. Hey, eh, eh, it, it it just works. And then we all lived happily ever after. Well, uh, at least we did until the Taiwan War started. Ha! <laughs> but that, that is a story for another day. A day I fear is closer than we might think. But another day nonetheless. And that is all I have for you today. 
I hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast on my geopolitical podcast. The world is changing. I say we use that change to our benefit instead of letting it work to our detriment. But what? I, but no matter what happens, we're going to have fun watching it together. Now, I've been your host, Tyshawn Wade, and you've been listening to This Week in Geopolitics. So till we meet again next Monday, servus.